just learning by doing, very much hands-on, how do I present my ideas, and then being able to critique everything. And I think just the power of editing, that's really a huge takeaway from school. Figure out what do I see and what is important to me and what is my design taste. Sally is currently a full-time mama. After getting her degree in environmental design, she worked for a firm in Dallas doing K-12 school design for about six years before her and her husband started their family. They adopted twins, and she went on to illustrate children's books. I always saw Sally as a great artist. Specifically, her paintings and drawings are marvelous. This is a story of going from architecture to motherhood, from building schools to building her family. All right, friends, 10 Colleagues, 10 Years is a podcast series where I interview 10 of my colleagues from architecture school 10 years after graduating. We all went to Texas A&M University and received a degree from the College of Architecture, but ended up in drastically different places. This podcast is a celebration of what a non-traditional architecture degree offers for the skills that it teaches. It's 10 individual stories of navigating a career path that's meant to be inspirational. And when I personally started my own architecture practice earlier this year, I attribute some of my success to this kind of degree program. So I hope that you get the same sort of inspiration from these stories, and thanks for listening. I'm Heather Pogue, and this is 10 Colleagues, 10 Years. Hi, friend. Hi. Yeah, so I sent you a little email to kind of prep, but it's really just your journeys through the last 10 years, and I would hope that that didn't require a ton of prep, maybe a little bit of like thinking back, because it's been a while, but I wanted to focus particularly with you. I would like to hear about how you fostered your art, and then I wanted to tell a story about each person that I selected to be on the podcast, and it's a memory I have from our time in school, when I was trying to think of the memory, I didn't try hard. It came to me naturally, but then I thought it was a good fit for that person in general. My memory of you is actually when we were in Milan. So we studied abroad together in Barcelona and we traveled around together and we saw a lot of really cool places. And I remember specifically being in Milan with you it was at a time when both you and I were developing our relationships with our husbands-to-be. And so it was a really cool journey to share that with you. I was trying to decide if I could pick out a souvenir for Andrew, my future husband, at the time boyfriend. And I remember telling you, I don't know if he likes me very much, was my comment. And like, should I buy him this, you know, whatever it was. And you just stopped me. And I think you put your hand on my arm and physically stopped me. And you were like, Heather. He likes you. Get over it. He likes you. And that's so you. And why I admire you is you have such conviction in yourself and in others. Thank you, friend. I don't remember that moment, but I love that memory. It's so fun to think of that time and both of us just journeying toward love and getting to see the world. And it felt like almost the last adventure before life started. And so I love that sweet memory of being centered in the middle of all of the adventure and what's really important to us and all about the world and dreaming and all of these things that we chase. It is so much about what's really true and what's really good in the world. Who am I and who loves me and what's important to me? Well, maybe this memory you do remember. I'll tell another one. It was also travel related when we went to Greece 
and I broke out in hives for whatever oh. reason. And I remember you just, <laughs> you took such good care of me through my, my hive episode. Yeah. So that's the story of you. But the first question is an easy question to answer. Kind of an icebreaker, but also has some serious undertones. What was your fairy word? What? Didn't you have John Fairy? No, I never had him. Oh, man. I somehow magically missed him. How did you do that? Yeah, I don't know. I... And you have a degree at the end of the day. I don't know how I you did made that. It. <laughs> I think maybe I'm not a whole person. I don't know. Maybe I didn't get the full education. I don't know. Well, you remember the assignment. I remember hearing about it. Yeah, we had to have a word that described us, and we every assignment, we didn't know it at the time, but every assignment thereafter had to yeah. express this word. So if you had fairy, what would your word have been? I just feel like a different person than I was then. The one word. I'm not, oh. Yeah, I'm not going to make you commit to a word. Okay, thank you. I want to describe for the audience, because our degree is really unique, it's so time-intensive, and it's studio-based and project-based. How would you describe it to people? Just a live-in, all-in, all-out, breathing design and collaboration. You said it well, but I think it was just full immersion. The design process was a huge thing that I learned. I came away with so much. What does it look like to have a concept and then really think it all the way through and then build off of that? What does it look like to present your ideas? And so just watching other people in school, just learning by doing, very much hands-on, how do I present my ideas? And then being able to critique everything. And I think just the power of editing, that's really a huge takeaway from school. Figure out what do I see and what is important to me and what is my design taste? It just really was fully immersive. All the funny stories of taking your toothbrush with you and working forever and just the community of that. It was, that's my favorite part of it was that we just lived there and that we got to just really do life together and learn this whole thing together and kind of learn to find our own little design voice in the mix. And even though I think that I began to learn it in school, I think maybe everybody feels this way. We were just starting out, and I think I kind of backed into architecture, honestly. I loved I loved being in homes and seeing people design come out and the way they design their interiors and laid out their space and the style of their textiles. That was just always interesting to me, and fashion and everything design I was always really drawn to. But I didn't really know what architecture meant. I was like, yeah, I like buildings. I appreciate that. I don't really know. So I think I, I honestly just chose A&M because I loved the family culture. I grew up in a huge family of Aggies, generations of Aggies, and it was just a place to belong. It was just part of my family culture. And so I was like, okay, I love art. Yeah, architecture sounds great. It's like the closest thing at A&M that fits my, what I think it is. So when I got into architecture, I was like, okay, I'm really loving all these classes. I had no idea about any of the construction, the technical side of things was completely foreign to me. I remember Googling one time, how is a wall built? Like what makes up a wall? Like what's behind the wall? I really did just back into it. And it was this exciting surprise of what is architecture. So, Can you go a little bit more into what you thought it would be like? Or what you thought an architect did? And did you think you would be an architect at the end? I'm not the type I have my whole life plan and ambition laid out. I'm not a plan ahead kind of girl. 
kind of live in the ideal world of like what looks beautiful. And I love learning and studying and looking up close at what made architecture stand out in the history. I mean, I really just was like exploring all of college. As we got further along, it was like, wow, there is so much technical to this. Like, I really don't care about concrete. So much of it is technical and it's mathematical and yes, and I excelled in some of those things, but it wasn't like I felt this calling to in my whole life as an architect. So I did begin to feel that way at the end of school. It's like, I don't feel like I fit the mold of the architect that's like, I'm going to go and design and create in this specific way my whole life. I, I didn't feel that tug, that calling at all. But I was like, I do know that I love so much of what I'm learning here fits where I feel like my gifting is, but it's hard to explain. I didn't feel like I was fit the architecture mold exactly. I really was just like a surprise of what I thought in general starting school was like, yeah, it's going to be a lot like art and like I love buildings. I just was so naive. (laughs) We all were. We were 18. So we were babies. What steered you towards architecture school? You talked a little bit about you had this love for art and that you knew you wanted to go to A&M and that was the closest thing to it. Were there any people that were pivotal in that or did you see some architecture before you decided to apply and it inspired you? much interiors inspired and I know that that is a lot of my jam so I would do with my parents my entire life we would go to the Houston Heights the old homes that were restored you know something kept in its perfect state from 1930 I always just appreciated the different styles just in general like I really want to learn what it means to really think about design and how does some style take over the world like how do you make beauty in a building like how do you design something and then all of a sudden the world appreciates it you know chasing that what is beauty kind of concept I think we do all just have this thing inside of us you know it's inherent we appreciate beauty and we have a longing for what is good and what is right but then when I was in school I really was inspired by other people within people that had Like, for example, a friend who I didn't know very well, but I kind of was around him in school. And he had had, like, all this training in architecture in high school and had sat with an architect and had all this previous background, which I was, like, completely in awe of that someone would have their life together that much that they would know what they were going to do ahead of time. But inspired by all the different types of thinkers and types of people that could just sell their design you know, I came up with a thing, I came up with this concept, and here's where I'm going to go with it, this really amazing thought process, I was like, wow, you know, you're inspired when you can see other people think, but other than that in school, I don't, I wouldn't say my professors were particularly inspiring. That was going to be one of my questions, is did you find any mentors while you're in school, but it sounds like it mostly came from maybe the peers and our cohort. Yeah, and definitely being in Barcelona on our study abroad semester. I remember just feeling, and I know you experienced this too, feeling that human nature, like commonality with people across the world. Like we, we all desire to occupy a space that is well thought out and that is functional and beautiful and all these things are common. 
in all these countries that we're seeing. I mean, my whole life, I feel like I've been shaped by that trip, just getting a taste of the world and being out on our own and stepping away for a little bit. You know, then you go home and you appreciate your place and you appreciate the things about your home. So inspired by so much history there and all the old, old buildings that we got to walk around and seeing completely remarkable things that have been preserved from the past. Yeah. Well, and I relate to a lot of what you were saying earlier about your time in school. I feel similarly in that I spent most of my time absorbing like a sponge, like with curiosity. And I always was intrigued by the things we learned. And I feel like I just was there to absorb it all, but really not understanding what architecture was ever during those four years. I think for me, it was a struggle at least. I think for some people it clicked or some people, like you said, had that initial training or a high school class that taught them about architecture or whatever it may be. Did you ever do the jello experiment? We had to somehow make something out of jello. Like my roommates were like English major, liberal arts, business school. And they were like, what are you doing with jello? What's going on? You know? And I'm like, this is awesome. This is like my design process. But like, what am I doing? This is so fun. But like, where am I going with this? Where am I headed? Yeah. I remember a lot of friends going, why are you always in studio? Like, why can't you hang out? Why are you doing more work? My answer is this, I cannot hang out with you guys. I've got to go do this thing. Right? You don't understand. Yeah. I have to go slice my fingers all night <laughs> and try to get this model made. And then it's going to be ripped in half. I'm going to learn how to receive feedback. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Constructive criticism. That's the word. That was, a, that was a huge takeaway. Like, we really learned how to accept feedback. And it was often, like, suck up the tears. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Tough love. I mean, because so much when we create things in art and in architecture, it's it feels like our child. Like, we just made this baby. And all of a sudden, it's going to be just ripped to shreds. I never felt that way with an essay that I wrote for any other class. Like, I never felt like an essay was my baby. Mm -hmm. But when I made a model that was like a space that I had thought out and a concept that I had made, it was my child. Mm -hmm. I had to learn to be able to take criticism for something and see, like, wow, okay. Sometimes it felt like unjust criticism, but... You know, I think that's just part of it, like learning to be in the architecture world. Okay, we do have a client that's going to have a different mindset than ours, maybe. And so how do you still make it your design and, and your point of view, your aesthetic and everything that's you, but then for the client? That was all just good training with a professor. You mentioned the late nights earlier. One of the pinnacles of architecture school is the all-nighter. I think it's a badge of honor we wear. How many all-nighters did you think, if you had to put a number to it? Oh, I wasn't the kid that did it every single week. I wasn't that diehard. I would say maybe two or three times a semester, I would say. I can remember you pulling some. That would be accurate from my memory of you. Just the hassle of like, oh, I gotta move the car. Depression when I would go home and my roommates would be asleep. And yeah, it was horrible, but then you felt like, whoa, I'm such an adult. Stayed up doing this thing, presenting it the next day with my coffee in my hand. Yeah. It was like a badge of honor. Yeah, and a point of pride. After school, you worked at an architecture firm in Dallas. So can you talk about that and your time there and 
briefly describe what you did and people that were influential during that time also? Yes. So I worked at a mid-sized architecture firm in Dallas, and we designed schools. I just loved the people there. I still love them. I was there for six years. Most of the projects were within a 50-mile radius of Dallas, and so it was lots of school districts within that I'm still really familiar with it. And just getting to see the whole process front to back. I, it wasn't like they would pigeonhole you into just being red lines only, which I really appreciated. Yes, I had to pay my dues and do some of that where I did just learn the process. But then as you get a little more familiar with how the firm works, what the design goals are, the process of how they do it, then we got to really see them front to back. The projects go all the way through. And that was so exciting to get to meet with the clients and sometimes travel to just be part of the meetings and walk the job sites and then do schematic design all the way through. It was really exciting. I loved my experience there and learned so much from the people there. Yes, I more naturally fit into the design side of it, but I really want to grow in the technical side of it. The construction and Revit and all of the 3D I'm so rusty on it now. Gosh, I wouldn't even know what to do in Revit now. I loved getting to know different people from different backgrounds and different schools and different ages. Some people that were in families and some people that were single. And, you know, just fun to get to work with different people. Obviously, because coming out of school, it was like peers. So I loved the collaboration of getting to be in an office. And we had this great space. We did have little offices, but then you'd have four or five people in your space with you with this 18 floor view of Dallas. It was really a neat spot. Yeah. It sounds really collaborative too. If you're yes. sitting with four or five people and you're working on schools, that's a good project team for a solid amount of time because those projects take so long to go yes, from start yes. to finish. Yes. And just a really great culture there too. And I know when we talk about work, work culture really is so important that there was fun and there was food around and there, you know, all of that was like just a great way to have my first job right out of the gate. It was like, this is exciting and these people care about me and I'm part of the team and I can add value to the projects. That's so fortunate to feel that way because that's not everybody's experience in architecture. I think it's For sure. kind of a harsh climate in general, just given like the studio culture that we just described, I think some of that comes out through the profession. And so I think it's really great that you got that experience of feeling like you were valued and had a community. Yes. I mean, there were moments for sure where I was like, I am the bottom of the totem pole yeah. at the beginning as the intern. So I did feel like I might not be here in this profession forever. I don't know. I did sometimes have those moments where I wondered, but then when I would get into a project, I did receive feedback like that was great what you presented or I did get to do some kind of unique things like I developed a color palette book, this little booklet of former projects, really high quality photographs of you know previous projects we'd done with the little five circle color palette that basically like I dropped some of the colors from that design into your exterior and it was helpful for the client who can't really visualize certain things even just as simple as color like giving them this little tool to help them be comfortable with as we talked about the design as we talked about the materials and the process it was like mm -hmm. they were able to see from this little booklet what they might be willing to explore just things like that 
I mean, that's not the typical architect's job, but that was something that I took interest in and someone said, go for it, make something like that and we'll use it. And so I think being okay with my interests don't go exactly along the lines of all of these other architects. And I wasn't like geeking out over all the specs of whatever they were. But I was like, I can do this and I'm going to just stay in my lane and I'm going to run in my lane and I hope to add value here. And then was really thankful when it was accepted and helpful. Yeah. And it sounds like that firm gave you those responsibilities and opportunities fairly young. You're talking Mm -hmm. about being the intern and low on the totem pole, but it's great that you're able to have that lane like carved out for you. Because I think that's also um, not typical. Yes, I was thankful. And so you talked a little bit in questioning, oh, I don't know if I would do this in a few years. What was going through your mind when you were working there, thinking about your future and where architecture would lead you or where it wouldn't lead you? And you would, what were your thoughts about your future? Yeah, it was so personal. It was so much of my personal life. And just to go years back, and I said before, I was never like, I have a dream for my future and this is who I'm going to be. Like, that's just not my personality type. And by the way, I was like, I have to bring up Enneagram for this podcast. <laughs> like, I don't know if you're into this, but it feels like everyone's talking about the Enneagram right now. I've I heard know. a lot about it. I haven't done it yet. I've done Myers-Briggs, but I don't absorb that stuff very well. So I couldn't even tell you what I am. The Enneagram is cool because it tells you your personality when you're your healthy self and when you're under stress and it's like this fluid who I am it's not like this is who you are at all times Um, and so it's helpful when I think about my life in architecture school when I didn't have all the responsibilities necessarily but I did have some stress I was a young adult I was still trying to figure out exactly who I was and what I wanted to be I'm bringing all this up because I'm an Enneagram type four and so much of what is important to me is beauty and I want to be like my authentic self And those are like my core values, just in design in general. I wasn't like planning ahead for the future, like trailblazer. I'm not one of those type ambitious and got to go. I kind of live in this ideal world. And so when we were studying abroad, I met my husband, Caleb, right before, and we were getting to know each other and then quickly got married right when we graduated school. So in May of 2008, I graduated from A&M. And then moved to Dallas, started my first job at the firm in Dallas. Within the next three months, I was married too. And so it was like this humongous amount of life change. I was great and I was working for a few years. And then I was just like, oh, I just really want to be a mama. Like I just, I never really thought that that was going to be such a huge part. It just felt like a calling. Like I just really want to be a mom. I mean, I dreamed about being a mom as a kid. But I never thought that it was going to be like this full-time, all-inclusive thing. It just became such a joy and a delight to dream about being a mom. And so, I don't know, maybe maybe it sounds super old-fashioned. It was exactly where I wanted to be. It wasn't happening the old-fashioned way. And so, in the shortest version ever, we got to experience a super amazing surprise of having twins through domestic adoption. We started exploring all of that process as I was working, and it just became this, I love what I'm doing at my job, and I also really have this huge calling and heart to be a mama. I love that we have freedom to do it a lot of different ways. For me, I just really felt like I want to rock this thing, and I can't wait to be home with my kids. 
then we had six days heads up that we were going to have twins. I didn't know it was that short. Yeah. We got a call and then we were going to have the kids. Twins. Um, I was literally at my desk on a Monday morning. I had my hot coffee and I had my little red lines and I had my Revit going and I was all set for the day, getting my week going. And then that's when I get the call, like, you thought you had a little bit longer. So we thought we had two weeks, but it was, y'all have to come tomorrow. The babes are coming tomorrow. (laughs) So I left my hot coffee, I left my computer on, and I ran out of the building. They all, my friend and my coworkers made like a tunnel line for me to run out. And that was my entrance into motherhood. (laughs) So (laughs) I didn't go back until my babies were like three months old. I mean, it was crazy. Just the transition was insane. All that to say, I knew that design was going to be a part of me forever. And it still very much is. And I so much appreciated school. And I appreciated my work that I got to do. In college, it was like I had my little design babies. And then in my work, I had my design babies. Bunch Elementary was my baby. It was my project. I got to be part of that. That was my thing. I kind of had to grieve. I really wanted to be home and build my home. I went from building to like building my home. That was my focus. But I did kind of grieve. This is different. Just the transition was big and hard and fast. Yeah, sudden. I love that you use that metaphor of building. You're physically building things through your work and then you're building your home. That's such a good visualization because you are so nurturing. I don't get to see you, but I know you're a great mom. Oh, thank yeah. you, friend. Yes, it's such a joy. It's so funny. You just you just kind of figure out this is my motherhood thing, and now I'm getting to, like, see the gifts of my kids, try to figure out what they're going to be and who they are. And it's so fun to just put creative things in front of them. And I have three-year-olds now. They're going to be four soon, and we're starting to, like, their whole lives they've been, like, in messy paint everywhere. We have blocks. I'm trying to just ignite the fire of creativity. I mean, kids are just so naturally creative. You don't have to do anything. You just give them free time and you give them raw materials, and they will just create. And it's really, really amazing. I mean, I've learned so much about myself just watching them. And I'm like, literally, God just, like, puts this raw material, raw creativity in every little person. And then we kind of lose some of it as Mm -hmm. we go through life. Maybe it's just insecurities that we have or whatever it is in life. We just kind of get stifled by school or the process or whatever it is. Sometimes we kind of forget how to be kids and how to think creatively. Like I have to, it's like a constant experiment, especially my son. He's very mechanical always putting things together and I cannot stop him from being creative (laughs) you know he's like doing a fulcrum in the middle of the park it's really amazing so I love just watching them so I do feel like I am building this place I'm building a haven a culture of love and creativity and what is good and what is true and I'm just excited to see what their lives are going to look like so it's almost like I've Yes, I've stepped away from, like, the professional full-time design, but Mm -hmm. I'm getting to put huge investment into two or three or however many little bitty lives, and what are they going to build, and what are they going to create? I mean, I'm really excited about what I get to do. It's so hard and exhausting, and all the things you hear from every mom, like, it's hard work, and it is absolutely 
life-changing, but it's been so fun to root them on. And What you said about, it's almost like a purity you have with your creativity. And the more you go through life, the more layers of, like you're putting on a coat every time something happens to you that I think you get layered on with all these ideas and society constraining what yes. our ideas of things are and taboos and the ways to go about things. Just so many layers that you're just putting on and that I think block your initial raw, pure creativity that you have at a very young age. It just takes a lot of effort to peel back and find yes. that again and, and to get in the headspace. And as an adult, after you have all those layers, it's, it kind of dilutes it a bit. It's so true. Well, I think it's awesome that you're fostering creativity in your kids. Thank you. It's so fun. Like, I've always had a room with paint in it and with things that I'm doing. And for a while, I was, like, dabbling in sewing. And I'm just kind of always, like, exploring and trying things. I don't know. I'm kind of a jack of all trades, and I guess, if I'm not really a master of any. But, you know, just modeling for my kids. Like, this is so fun for me to always be learning and I'm always reading and I'm always just curious about things. And mm-hmm. so it's fun to watch them be curious about painting and about going on walks in nature. I'm like, oh, that tree is amazing. What kind of tree is that? You know, and then, mm-hmm. you know, they kind of model it. It's so fun to watch. Yeah. I want to talk about your art too, because that's something I really admire is your watercolors and the paintings you've done. And that's what caught my eye. And I don't think in architecture school, you get many opportunities you don't have that medium to explore, especially mm-hmm. at A&M. But yeah. when you did do it, it was just fantastic. And I'm like, that came out of you, this wonderfully bold expression. I remember you saying you had maybe an art class in high school or yeah. you did art before you came to college. So can you talk about that and then how you fostered it? I've watched through social media, you kind of foster it as a side yes. project. Okay, so my mom was an art teacher for years and years since I was in fourth grade. And so I've always kind of been around her doing and teaching and creating. Yes, I definitely in high school and middle school and high schools when I caught the bug and I was like, Ooh, I can do this. This is fun. And how can I grow in this? So then ever since I love to communicate through art and I think it's powerful and it speaks more than words can sometimes. And I'm hugely into words. So I think, there's power and there's so much redemption that you can see in art. I got asked to do a simple watercolor years ago, a book. It was called The Jack Book, and it was a sweet friend. She was in her 70s, and she had written a book to her children. And so that's kind of my intro, like, oh, I could actually be an illustrator on the side, and this is fun. And so I did that when I was at the Dallas firm. I mean, it was, like, self-published and very simple and not just like probably any creative person, you look back at something you've done years ago and you're like, oh, <laughs> you're like, how was I? Yeah. Oh, I should have done like 10 more drafts of that. But, <laughs> anyway, then another person asked me to do like a really sweet little engagement story. He had written out every letter of the alphabet. If you were an apple, you would be a honey crisp because you're the sweetest one. He wanted me to draw him and his girlfriend who was, was going to ask to marry him as children and their little lab who's now old. It was such a sweet, very creative little illustration. It was just ink and then I colored it in with some illustrator. Anyway, after that I just kind of kept getting asked to do tiny little commission work. Very much just personal and fun and nothing big, but it was like a joy for me to do. And then once I was home with kids and I was full-time mom, 
out of the blue, I had a friend reach out to me that I had known from years back. And she was like, I have this burning in my chest. I have to do this book. Like, I don't want to do this book, but I have to write this book. And I just, it won't leave me. And would you be part of it? And so I was like, I have baby twins. Like, oh, when am I going to do? Like, I can't. I'm sorry. Like, I really, I cried when I read it. And then I just kind of sat with it and was like, I have to do this. It's so beautiful. Oh, so she gave you a draft to read and it was so good that you just had to say yes. Yes. I mean, it was very much like it tied to my, it pulled on my heartstrings because it was related to our story a little bit. And she is, the writer of the book is one of many biological siblings. And then in her adulthood, her parents adopted their youngest sister. She was born in China and then experienced a lot of loss and trauma. And so she came to them as an older child and is just this beautiful girl who's now 10 years old. And so the story is from the perspective of we were not there as your family from the very beginning, but God was there. He saw whenever those horrible things happened to you and he wept over you and you were made in your mother's womb and you were precious and you were known and you were seen. And we didn't know all of the milestones that you took, but God knew it was just so important and such a voice that isn't out there. It was just really a felt need. Like as we have now launched it into the world, we just hear back from adoptive parents and from adult adoptees. This is so powerful in my healing and just understanding that I wasn't forgotten and that I wasn't alone. It's just been so humbling to get to be part of. So I was the illustrator and it was all, I did the whole thing in watercolor and I took like a year to do it. And then I literally started over. I was like, I can't, I cannot live with this. Really? This is not it. And of course I was barely able to work much on it because I was just doing like nap time and evenings and it was just hard. The creative process was, it was like, I have such a concept in my head and you know, the topic being so weighty, it was like this personal story that I wanted to do well. Um, I wanted to somehow show like it was true for Megan, but it's also true for every child. Like more universal. So I didn't want to make it too personal, but I also wanted to value her family and her story. And just, I want it to be serious and I don't want it to be too playful, but I also want it to not be completely depressing. I want it to be redemptive and for there to be color and light and beauty. It was just a high calling. I threaded some thick colored thread through some watercolor paper. Like I literally sewed the watercolor paper and then I layered a bunch of different watercolor and that just really helped me pull this idea of like the thread of Megan's life. Like all the way through, there were like these little threads that God was working and he was working in the family. The concept finally worked because the title is the bridge that love built. There was a big bridge of thread at the end. Spoiler alert. (laughs) I've seen Joy's copy here, a friend, a mutual friend we have in Seattle, and she bought the book because she's gone through a similar experience adopting twins, domestic twins. She had the book, and so I got to flip through it. Exactly how I remember your art, like I was describing earlier, it's just, it's so expressive, and I just can't believe that it just comes out of your fingertips. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So do you see yourself doing more projects like this? If I mean, it sounds it's super meaningful work. And yeah. I think a lot of the conversations I've had with our other colleagues have been and 
that we we're at a good place in like these last 10 years is a good we've got experience you figure out life a little bit and you're more adult and you can kind of settle in in a way and then reevaluate i think 10 years is a good point you can reflect on these things but then what are you going to do with all the skills and the tools and i've found a th- common theme has been find more meaning in my life and it sounds like this work is fulfilling and meaningful And you talked about doing your commissions as side projects, not really seeking them out, but they were meaningful projects because they were friends or family or whoever. Do you see yourself doing more of that type of work? Um, Do you see yourself pursuing it? Or is it one of those things that goes back to you don't really plan and you're just... Yes. Currently, like, I have said no to some work that's coming in just because my priority is to really do well here at home and... Sometimes if I get too emotionally involved in a project, I'm just like not as great of a wife and a mom. And I mean, mm-hmm. we all have our limits on, you know, what we can do at certain times and seasons in our life. So mm-hmm. I haven't been actively pursuing any type of project like that right now. But I, yeah, I do. I totally resonate. Like I don't have a plan, but if there was something that was a meaningful project that came along, yes, like that is completely attractive to me. And I want to be part of like, bringing truth into the world and in whatever little ways like just bringing beauty and inspiring and that's what I want to do if I want to do something it's it's easy at this point in life to be like no that's not my priority right now it's easy to say no and I think that's such a healthy part of being an adult and being (laughs) healthy is like okay know when to say no and when it's make it your best yes I think you see opportunities more clearly because it's easier to recognize when it's worth doing and when it's not when it stretches you too thin right do you ever see yourself pursuing I'm well I feel like these questions don't really apply because we already talked about how you are you know I do think about like oh I dream about like a tiny home like have some land and a tiny little home on it I want to design that tiny home to death like I want to make it perfect mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know yeah that's my little pipe dream that I think about Yes, I do still think architecture and design. And what if I, at some point, went and did some part-time? I don't know. It's not an immediate dream, but it's kind of there floating around. Yeah. So you wouldn't abandon architecture completely. Um, No. You talked about this earlier. Your design is all around you, and you have to be doing it. But I do feel like I've stepped away for almost four years from the 3D modeling, and that, that was such a huge piece of what I did. Mm-hmm. I was really savvy on my little Revit system, mm-hmm. and now I'm like, I wouldn't even know where to begin. I'm so, so far gone in three years. It's like and riding I, a bike. Mm, <laughs> not so much for me. I don't know. But I think that is just the technology side of it. I could, I could hang with the design process. I think I could catch up. That would be like the riding the bike. But mm-hmm. the technology, I mean, I just assume it's still rapidly going and Mm -hmm. fast in that world too right like they probably have a new system they probably have a revit intimidates me and i have to work in it yeah daily it's the means to the end right it gets the work done but it's not the part that i enjoy okay can i hear a little bit about your life and your work more specifically yeah um i just started my firm my studio and how do you say it it's french and it's always your how do you say it jeunesse jeunesse that's so pretty and what does it mean it means youthful i always just felt really attached to it and so i always knew if i did some endeavor that it would be that 
And so Juness kind of came naturally. And even though it's painful spelling it to everybody and asking people like to pronounce it, I think ultimately. Um, I love it. I think it's beautiful. Brave girl, you just go. You get it. I'm not going to shy. Let's go. Yeah. And I wanted flexibility. I wanted to explore. I think we relate a lot in that we are. I loved what you said about jack of all trades, but master of none. Is that how you put it? Yeah. Uh, I feel the exact same way. I'm curious. I want to investigate, explore, and yeah. sit eight hours a day, five days a week, like showing up and not necessarily mentally being able to show up at all times. And totally knowing that. that if I want to go explore something or a project that I think is valuable, but nobody else sees as value, I want to be able to do that, like this podcast. And I want to write more and it just was born out of some of that also, just the frustration with the 40-hour work week. and Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, like, I've always seen in you, you are so internally motivated. Like, you are just, I'm going to get up and I'm going to go run. I'm mm-hmm. going to go do this thing. Like, I'm, I struggle with the motivation to stick at something. That's just the strength that I've seen in you. And I think that is what it takes to be able to start your own thing and to be flexible but still get your stuff done. I see that motivation in you. It was also a lifestyle change of recognizing that like, okay, I don't care if I make X number of dollars and I don't, I don't necessarily care that I work 40 hours a week, you know, like what is, what is the work I want to do and, and how little could I make? That's also really mature. So I think it was always in the back of my mind and I started out thinking, oh, I'm going to do this. And then I got into a firm and thought, this is too hard. And then- It just slowly circled back around. And I mean, there's so many hours I spent after work at night building a website, deciding what my mission statement was going to be, having a 20-year plan, you know? So it's been a wow. long time coming and a, a so patient. It's been struggling to want it, yeah, want it to happen now, but knowing it's not going to happen now. And finally, it's here. So I need to know your Enneagram type now. Oh, because I always have to like peg people. <laughs> that's not how you're supposed to be. How do you but, how do you take it? How can I take it? There's a free test called exploreyourtype.com. Okay. I think you might love it. I have found it so helpful just in our marriage, understanding and helpful in my own personal like why am I why do I care so much about that? Like why, you know, all the things that drive me crazy about myself and kind of gave words to it. Mhm. And helped me be motivated to get healthy in some of those areas. Just with Caleb, like understanding how he thinks is so different from how I think. And all of our conflict that we have is totally tied to this. It gives me compassion to understand other people. It's not like how you act. It's more like how you think and what you're motivated by. You're not the first person that's asked me what my Enneagram is. Oh, fun to talk to you. Yeah. Thanks so much for your time. And I know you're super busy with your kiddos. And Well, I'm honored that you would talk to me. I think you're super talented. And I just feel that way about a lot of the people I went to school with. Okay. Well, right. thank you, friend. Yeah, thank you. This was fun. All right. Bye, girl. Bye. Sally's gone from raising buildings to raising her kids. And she does such a wonderful job of nurturing their creative side just like her art teacher mother did with her when she was younger. As of this episode being published, Sally's family is looking to foster more children. 
I think her love of interior design and art will lead her to many creative endeavors in the future, but it sounds like they'll be side projects to your more important family dreams. Stay tuned for next week when I interview an architect who splits her time between design and healthcare research, being an advocate for hospitals around the country. Next time on 10 Colleagues, 10 Years.